0: Welcome to Harvest Beyond Sunday, a podcast that seeks to inform and equip the members of Harvest Church, as well as celebrate what God is doing in and through our body.
1: All right, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ at Harvest. Next episode of the Harvest Beyond Sunday podcast. We're looking at chapter seven, when work becomes selfish. And I never struggle with this. It's uh, you know, so I don't really have much to say. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's kidding. why we're
0: on that Noah and I'll can take this one. We're this yeah. is this is our chapter.
1: Y'all are the selfish ones. <laughs> yep. um, mm-hmm. we're all selfish. So this is a, a powerful chapter. Uh, I highly recommend you get the book and read this. There's a lot of detail in here, a lot of depth, as he looks at several different passages of Scripture. We're going to focus a lot on Esther, but also on the Tower of Babel. So two major stories in our in our Bible. But it, the point is, is we can all become selfish in our work, making a name for ourselves, using utilizing our work for our own position instead of for the benefit of others, and... And we can just be guilty of this. So we're going to dive right on in and we begin with the story of the Tower of Babel. So Noah, would you like to read Genesis 11 verses 2 through 4?
2: Yes, sir. So Genesis 11, 2 through 4. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed. Thanks for reading that,
1: Noah. Sonia, what do we have going on here in this in this passage? I mean, it doesn't seem too bad on the on the front end, but yet we know it's monumental in scripture. Yeah,
0: it doesn't it doesn't it seems very benign like This is just normal work, right? But I think what uh, stuck out to me is there was a lot of us language. Us is at the center of everything. They are not considering anything but themselves. And I just had to uh, think back like, so they're migrating from the East, okay? That's important information. Does that even lend itself to the motive and the problem that we have going on right now? I say yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a problem in the outset there. The uh, mandate was to fill the earth and subdue it and multiply and scatter and create and cultivate, expand You know, Eden to the ends of the earth and the language to the end of God's kingdom to the end of the earth. And yet here we see a, a gathering. Now, they've, they've kind of migrated, but then they settle on this plain of Shinar. And so they're, they're gathering together. If you read the last verse in chapter 10, it talks about the generations of Noah spreading abroad on the earth after the flood. Well, then here we see a portion of the generations gathering together. And as you said, they're coming to make a name for themselves.
0: So they're not even... Uh, contemplating, hey, wonder what God wants us to do here. Uh, it, this is what they want. This is what is going to make them look great. They're building their own kingdom, their own ideas, their own people, and they have not considered in any way uh, God in this matter.
2: Yeah, and, the, and even that last clause or, or whatever it is in verse 4, lest we be dispersed, Um, they're making very clear that they're actively trying to fight against this, this command to go forth, scatter, be fruitful and multiply. Um, so it's very clear. And even in that those last few words that their, their intention consciously is to go against, uh, what was the design of the Lord.
1: So this is where it's important to talk about. We can be executing the right things in life but have the wrong motive, have a bad heart. And so they're making bricks, which is using creativity, their ingenuity. Instead of uh, stacking stones, uh, they've figured out a way to to make bricks. Then they figured out a way to engineer and and build this big building. So this is good stuff. This this is using their creative minds. This is them learning and growing and architecturally developing things and building this building, which is a a form of art, but yet they're building it so that they can not be dispersed and they can basically make a name and worship themselves. So at the outset here, we have a reminder that you may be involved with great work and you may be doing it for the wrong reasons, but you're justifying it because it is valuable work, valuable to humanity, valuable to the kingdom, could be doing anything uh, that's good for the for the world and for Christ. But if you're doing it from the wrong motives, if we're operating out of the wrong position in our heart, doing it for ourselves, which is prideful, then we're in danger of being just like these folks at the Tower of, Tower of Babel.
0: Yeah, and we're just almost uh, pointing to – uh, the fruitlessness and the pointlessness of working for this very reason, to make a name for ourselves. Our last two podcasts, we talked about work being fruitless. We talked about work being pointless. It's kind of culminating right here. If we are doing it, if we are about our kingdom, our purpose, our will, instead of God's, there's nothing, there's no meaning to it.
2: And the tower will eventually come down, (laughs) you know? I mean, that's the end of the story here. The tower is going to be toppled.
1: And
0: God's not going to stand
1: for it. That's right. Yeah, they're trying to make a tower to the heavens. You know, they were clearly trying to elevate themselves up to the heavens and ascend towards the heavens uh, instead of – and so there's a spiritual, you know, value to the work. But again, it's all for themselves. Instead of to worship God, they're worshiping materialism. They're worshiping their own identity. And they're really their own their own pride, so um, you know. Again, if they if you're going to be trying to distinguish yourself uh, above and over against God, or above and over against someone else, then you're uh, likely operating from a position of pride and a position of selfishness. Yeah. So, what does it mean to be making a name for ourselves?
0: I really liked the, his first point, that we are not God's instruments when we are doing all these things for ourselves. So it reminds me of Paul David Tripp's book, Instrument in the Redeemer's Hands, that as we are working in the ministry of Jesus, we are an instrument to be used by Him, well that's not an instrument that we're using for our own good, but we are using it in God's name.
2: And if we're functioning as instruments for our own gain uh, instead of for the glory of God and the, and the good of others, um, then what this is going to lead us to, uh, as Tim Keller talks about, is the pride that Wes just touched on, uh, which he describes as essentially competitive that it's competitive by its very nature um that it's going to create within us this desire to be godlike which obviously god will not abide um and our desire to be godlike is going to pit us against others um and make us competitive with others drive a rift between um between us and those around us so um You know, what, what it ultimately results in, if we're, if we're being an instrument for our own purposes rather than God's own purposes, it's going to lead to dissolution, fragmentation, rather than flourishing harmony all of the things that result from living in accordance with god's design and being an instrument of his purposes Mm.
0: let's talk a little bit about these tower reasons bricks instead of stone which is a good creative use Uh, but they're making a name for themselves they're doing their work for their own glory their own identity shaping their own identity instead instead of letting god define it and so i'm just sitting here thinking like what does that look like in modern day about Um, just making a name for themselves. And, you know, and, and obviously I'm not assigning this motive to everybody that has their name on a building, right? Um, because they have, uh, done an amazing thing by donating the money, uh, being the benefactor of that project. That, that is a really great thing. And a lot of people do it for the right motive. But if your legacy is building these towers, uh, your legacy is, hey, I just want to put my name on everything out there. As you just said, these towers are are coming down. They're not permanent. And so you have spent all of your life putting your name out there, building a legacy that is not going to stand the test of time.
1: So if you continue reading the story we know that God was not pleased with what they were doing. They were operating out of selfishness and in their own pride and in their basically in their own sin. So there are consequences to sin. And so God uh, confuses their languages so that they are uh, not able to make a name for themselves. And then they are forced to disperse and scatter. And, and this is a result of how we have so many languages on earth today. And so you just think about how uh, much easier it would be to communicate with everybody if we all spoke the same language. But at the end of the, of the day, we would, if we're honest with ourselves, we would use it for the same purposes as Genesis 11. We wouldn't have done anything different in this narrative. So we're just as guilty. Uh, and now we're trying to spread the gospel to people and groups and languages that don't have Scripture written. And so we're still suffering from this story today as we try to advance the gospel.
0: Yeah, and I think just a a good, uh, as we always say here about self-diagnosis, is that if there's confusion in a project, I think we all need to check our spirit on it. Like, are we doing this? Are we promoting this project for self-glory or for God? Because where God is, there is no chaos.
1: And that cir- circles us back to the definition of pride, which is really – you know, pride is not necessarily uh, well. It gets no pleasure out of having something. Pride gets pleasure out of having m- more of something than the next man. And so, we say people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. So it's that comparison thing. And so, when you're operating out of a sense of pride, uh, you're you're comparing yourself to someone else and your achievements.
0: So you want your tower to be bigger and better than
1: others. So the book makes a transition here to highlight a story within the Bible where Esther operates in, in her work that she's assigned to do for such a time as this. In a non-selfish way. So, before we dive in, uh, into the implications of that story and how it relates to this podcast of of uh, when work becomes selfish, let's do a little background here. So, King, the, the the Jewish community is dispersed and and not living in, in the promised land right now, uh, and they are under foreign leadership, King Xerxes. And King Xerxes is not a, a a nice man. He's not a godly man. He's a foreign pagan king. And he has a in chapter one we learn about his wife and then his wife displeases him and he he has her killed. In chapter two he chooses a new queen and happens to notice Esther and her beauty and then chooses her and elevates her to be a queen. And she's Jewish. At some point a, one of the leaders of with, with King Xerxes is a guy named Haman, and Haman ends up hating the Jews and is going to try to convince King Xerxes to get rid of all the Jews. And here now Esther is faced with a predicament of she's been elevated to power, she's been given this tower to live in these privileges just like we saw in in genesis chapter 11 they had the privileges of making the bricks and the bitumen and the mortar and 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 the privilege of uh, dispersing on the earth so here she is she uh, went from not living in the palace to living in the palace and now she's faced with the predicament do i remain selfish and take care of me or do i use my position where i am ultimately her job her work now as queen to serve the kingdom and serve and benefit others.
2: Yeah, that's right. So there's this really pivotal moment in chapter four of the book of Esther uh, in verse 12, where um, it reads, and they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace, you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That's the kind of famous verse or line that we hear for such a time as this. So Mordecai essentially saying exactly what Wes, you were just talking about. Is Esther going to use her position, um, to, to intervene on behalf of, of the Jewish people to, uh, you know, essentially lobby the king to, to save the lives of her people? Or is she going to, just kind of sit in, in comfort, in the comfort of the royal, royal court, um, enjoying all the pleasures selfishly, only for herself personally, and not with an eye to the interests of, of others.
0: I think what scripture is uh, trying to teach us here, we can even assign allegorically the Holy Spirit to Mordecai, right? Like we all need the Holy Spirit to prompt us to move towards god towards his plan towards his will and not ours and and so that's what mordecai did for esther that he was essentially acting as the holy spirit saying you're not even going to be able to save yourself and so what he's essentially saying is you need to be about god's work and god's people not your own
1: yeah, I love that you bring the Holy Spirit into this because let's think about, so we're not Esther, but Esther's been elevated to a position of power and authority here in the palace. But what does Acts eight tell us? Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So if you are uh, have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we need to consider ourselves ascended to a position of power, not for our glory, not necessarily for our benefit. Uh, well, it is for our benefit because the Holy Spirit seals our salvation, but not for our earthly you know, benefit and making a name for ourselves. But we are in a position of power where we are His ambassadors. We've talked about this in other episodes. And so... Uh, we're not in the exact same narrative as Esther, but we are in the same story in that we have the power of being in the king's palace as citizens of heaven, but representing him on earth. And we can enact influence for the benefit of God and for the benefit of others if we choose to not be selfish and keep that power to ourselves. But if we... um, uh, throughout the power of God's word and we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit each and every day there are opportunities around us to do what Esther did and to not be selfish and make a difference for the kingdom
0: where else do we see this and you know we've just seen two stories okay uh where are some other places that we can see this storyline take place
2: I mean Daniel and joseph are two uh, Probably prime examples, and uh, Tim Keller points them out. But I'm um, thinking about Daniel, um, you know, while while in exile, serving faithfully, um, letting the the excellent quality of his work uh, and and his conscientiousness um, just testify to uh, his his God, um, and then Joseph as well, in in Egypt, um, being given authority. Uh, to, uh, you know, essentially functioning uh, as one of the highest ranking officials in the kingdom. And, um, and he used that for the benefit of others. Um, so we see both Daniel and Joseph uh, examples of, you know, men, uh, you know, functioning in these earthly kingdoms, but wielding the influence, the resources, the authority they have to glorify their maker. Um, and also to, um, Benefit their people.
0: So at the end, uh, all three of these chose to be about God's kingdom and not their own.
1: Yeah, none of them were just uh, super successful individuals. And we see other people like Ezra and Nehemiah fall into this category. And God wants to use ordinary men and women. Uh, either inside the field of ministry or outside of the field of ministry to make a difference and make an impact. And so that's the power of us being in the palace. Now, for Esther and for us, too, there's a peril of being in the palace. So Esther is in this precarious position. Okay, she has a choice to make. And on the one hand, yes, I can be obedient to God and I can uh, I can help save my people, even though. Mordecai has told her, hey, it doesn't really matter what you do. God's going to redeem his people. But if you want to uh, save yourself and your family and the people here and now, you are in the position to do it. But this, So this is a huge risk, though, because if she approaches the king, she could lose her job or her life. I mean, and so if she just say silent, everyone else may die. Eventually she'll die. Uh, but um, there's a huge risk here because if she comes out and and says this thing to the king, we've already seen him kill one queen for next to nothing. So for Esther, she's going to have to be willing to sacrifice herself for the benefit of God's kingdom and others. We get that same opportunity each and every day. The peril of being in the palace for us is that we're scared and we're unwilling to make a sacrifice Uh, And that um, we would rather exalt ourselves and pursue our own pleasures and and, self-interest that we've talked about in other episodes, or do we make the sacrifices and do what's right and obey God and keep His commandments and work for the benefit of Him and work for the benefit of others?
0: So are we going to keep silent and rock along with life and enjoy life's pleasures or are we going to take the opportunity that God gives us in these moments in, in living here in exile, right? We, we are living in exile. We're not living in our home. We are in exile. Are we going to just kind of stick our necks out for the lost people around us? I mean, lost people are dead, and we have an opportunity to Bring them to Christ and, and so that they will be alive in Christ. Are we willing to take the opportunities that God is going to, and He tells us He is going to give us opportunity and He's going to give us the power to do this? Are we going to stick our necks out and go, man, this might really hurt? We might really lose, you know, what everyone else thinks about us for the sake of others? coming to know Christ and having eternal life and not be dead.
1: You talk about sticking your neck out. So again, here she's ascended to the palace. And she, you know, a good king, a good queen is one that is cognizant of serving and benefiting the people of the kingdom. And so for you and I, if you've, you know, got great jobs, great influence in your job, and you're surrounded by non-believers, and it's whatever, wherever you are in life, in your neighborhood, with your family, unless you use your clout, your credentials, and your money in the service to the people outside of the palace, then the the palace is a kind of a prison. We're not suggesting that heaven is a, is, a, is a prison, but basically you're not extending the kingdom. You're comfortable in your setting of, well, I'm good. I've got my heavenly card. And then you're not really serving those who could be brought into the fold of the kingdom of God. And so we have to continue to. So again, this is the this is the risk. This is the parable peril of being in the palace is that we get comfortable as Christians. So if you're unwilling to risk your place in the palace for your neighbors, then you know the palace owns you. And so we we just have to continue to check ourselves. Am I like too comfortable as a Christian, or am I? Really, uh, living down here as an ambassador for Christ,
2: and you know what? What is this language that we keep hearing again and again of, of assuming the risk of of putting your life on the line of mediating on behalf of of others, of identifying with with people? Um, you know, Esther's story is intended to point us to Christ as as the one who um, assumed the ultimate risk of of um, coming to earth, being rejected, humiliated, ultimately tortured, and, and executed on a cross. But he did so uh, in order to intervene for us, to identify with us as sinners, to to mediate, and to bring about redemption through his blood on the cross, spilled on the cross. Um, so we don't want to lose sight of the gospel illustration here, too, that um, you know, ultimately, if we want to be faithful to the example of the one who saved us, um, then, then we need to be willing to assume those risks. We need to be willing to identify with people that, you know, typically we would, you know, maybe not choose to associate with. We need to be willing to mediate, to go before the Lord on their behalf and and plead for their salvation and witness to them, um, inviting them into the kingdom. And, um, and so, you know, that that's just practically speaking, uh, a way that we see Christ on display in these in this story, um, and and an example, a pattern to follow in fulfilling the Great Commission.
0: Noah, I'm just also going to add to that. Like, I'm just sitting here thinking and um, seeing that there is a double sided benefit here. Like, there are going to be those that come to know Christ, and we praise God for that. That's that's our mission here on earth is for more to come to christ but it also changes us as well it grows us we become more like christ like what you're talking about we become like christ and our character changes we become sanctified in that we were willing to step out in faith our faith grows our character changes and we saw that in esther she She wasn't doing anything, and now she's fasting for three days. She's going to the king, and she is ready to say, hey, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to do what God put me here to do. And I think that's where we all have to be, living in the palace.
1: Yeah, I love what happens next in the story. So let's just read the verses. You gave us a clue to it. It says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So she's made the decision. There, she says, "I am going to use this power that the Lord has brought me to." And by the way, how did she get there? She got there through God's grace. God graciously made her beautiful. God graciously allowed her to be passing by at a certain time when she could be noticed, and then and then and the king you know, admired her beauty which was a gracious gift given to her. And that's how she even ascended to this power to begin with. It's the same for us. It's God's grace that has allowed us to be in his kingdom. Through this. We're saved by grace through faith. So we're in this position to, uh, with her, but I love it. She calls a fast. So And she doesn't just say, I'm going to fast. She calls for the people to fast. She humbles herself. She identifies herself with her people and says, let's fast, and then I'm gonna go before the king. And if I perish, I perish. She's really willing, willing to risk it all. Her character begins to change, and now she's ready to do whatever it takes for God and his kingdom.
0: Yeah, so she has just flipped the switch. Instead of being selfish, she understands that it is it's only grace that she has put here. It's only grace that we even know christ we do nothing what do we bring to the table for our salvation nothing but our own sin and that's what she's saying like she has just flipped the switch and realized that it is all by god's grace and that's what we do too it's all god's grace that we know christ
1: amen amen so what happens? Uh, basically, through a series of events, she is able to gain favor of the king's ear. She exposes the hatred of Haman, and the Jewish people are saved. So, by her willingness to lay down her life for the benefit of others, the people are saved, and that's what you're talking about. That too, uh, that 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 point to where now she's. conformed more to the image of God and the, and the people are also saved in this. So there's this double benefit. It's, it's counterintuitive as Ronnie Stevens always says, it's counterintuitive when the more we lay down our life and consider ourselves nothing in order, you know, as Galatians says that we have been crucified with Christ is no longer. I live, but Christ who lives in me. When we adopt that mentality, there's actual, actual greater blessings, not just for us, but for others. And it's counterintuitive because the world tells us, no, build your tower. No, build your kingdom, elevate yourself and make sure you are fighting for yourself. Make sure your name is great. Make sure your name gets on the building. Make sure you get the promotion. Make sure you're looking out for you, 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 you. That's what the world preaches. That's what the world celebrates, but not our King Jesus. He lives totally different,
0: and that's not who we should be as the people of God.
1: All about ourselves.
0: All about ourselves. We are about bringing more people into the kingdom.
1: Think about Jesus. He lived in the ultimate palace, and yet he humbled himself. He identified with us and emptied himself of the equality he had with the Father, and he took on our condemnation, made atonement for our sins, and gave us his righteousness. Thereby, we receive God's favor. Because he mediated for us, we get the option of mediating and interceding, as we've talked about uh, God's kingdom to others, the ministry of a reconciliation, getting to tell them about the peace they can have with God through the forgiveness of their sins, with a relationship with Christ.
2: All righty, guys, I, I think that is a great way to to end it. What are our three takeaways from this episode?
1: For me, I just I I'm constantly reminded of the sacrifice that Christ made, the sacrifice that Esther made, and the risk that she was. Both of them were willing to take for the sake of others, uh, for Christ, for the sake of my sin, for Esther, for the sake of her people, even in the face of worldly pressures and worldly dangers. She was still bold enough. She was still brave enough to pray and ask God first. I think that's an, a key step that before we just are you know, bold for the kingdom, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. We need to pray, but we need to be willing to be bold enough despite what the world thinks, despite what the consequences could be to serve our king.
2: I think what we discussed about the Tower of Babel, um, obviously I, I love the story of Esther and again just all the echoes that we see of, of, of Christ's own character and, um, you know, his initiative on our behalf in, in saving sinners, Uh, I just love that. But, um, I'm just struck by, uh, you know, how easy it is to construct those towers in our lives, to get confused about what our ultimate purpose is, what the end of our work is, um, to, to make it about us rather than about God and, and, and his people. And um, I don't know. It's just a great kind of cautionary tale, not that you want to live in fear about this at all, but you know, to know if I if I am building a tower for my own gain, for my own acclaim and to feed my pride, um, then what is the end result of that? It, it's a pile of rubble, you know, and um frankly, that even the act of destroying the tower is an example of God's grace that he doesn't let us continue to build and to build and to build into the heavens, ultimately never reaching where we desire to reach that he, he levels our towers and he intends to meet us in the rubble, um, to show us that it's only he who can, can satisfy us the longings of our soul. And, um, so I think that's probably my takeaway. I just, I love, Uh, you know, how applicable that that image is in all of our lives.
1: That's good, Sonia. How about you?
0: The gift of the Holy Spirit.
1: Mm, Mm -hmm. Whoa. She totally outdid us right
2: there.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, powerful. even in God's grace, how he will not allow us to build towers, but even given us the gift that we need that keeps us eventually we are going to turn away from ourselves and to him. I mean, that's what the Holy Spirit does. As believers, we cannot stay in our selfishness. And so for the gift of the Holy Spirit, so that we can have this double blessing of, uh, sharing the gospel, but also growing our faith in the process of that, I just, I think I've just learned a lot even more about the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit
1: the most underrated person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and sometimes the most over-idolized. But I love the Holy Spirit, so I'm thankful. Hey, I've loved recording this episode. I encourage you to go read uh, the not just the chapter of the book, but Genesis 11. Read the story of Esther again. Just beautiful, beautiful um, narratives there, and we can learn a ton about ourselves and about God and about the gospel. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. You can like and subscribe it. Continue to send your questions and comments to Noah at HarvestMemphis.org. And next week, next week, we got a special guest, another guest, as we talk about how work reveals our idols. That's going to be a tough chapter, but that's why we brought in a special guest. You're going to love her. Thanks for joining us.